Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. When I first started this journey over 16 years ago, as we recently celebrated the 16th anniversary of the show, I was looking to understand what was the keys to other people's success? Like, how come they got to create these great lives or live these great lives in what could I do? What could I learn? And there was a lot of learning that was going on. A lot of like, I just wanted, I wanted, I wanted the magic wand, right? It was a mom of four blended family. I was overworking. I really just wanted somebody to wave their magic wand and I could live happily ever after. And starting the show, one of the things that we created was the tagline where inspiration and possibility meet. And after a while, I started noticing that the word integration was really important. And I think part of it had to do was I was a teacher and I was a coach. Like I helped people achieve. It wasn't just sitting around and talking about stuff. And we actually did. And one of the things that I really owe now 16 years later, is that I'm really good at integrating and I'm good at helping people integrate. And integration is the key. So if you've, you know, listened to the show and you've done the mindset, you've bought a mindset journal and you're like, okay, Corinne, but this isn't working. What's wrong? What am I missing? It's not that you're doing it wrong. There needs to just be more integration. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the elements of what it takes besides just the learning and being in one's brain, because we've spent like mindset's a really big buzzword these days. And I remember back when I interviewed Carol Dweckin, I think 2009 originally, you know, mindset, that word wasn't really used that much, but mindset's become this huge word. It's a huge buzzword. And yes, it's the mindset and there's the elements of our emotions and our behaviors. And it's the integration of all three that helps us create the life that we desire. And I'm going to talk about it in practical steps today. So I think about like positive thinking, right? We are like, oh, just think positively. And I've done this. It's like, you know, there's that saying, fake it till you make it. That is a saying I am not a fan of. I do not believe in fake it till you make it because then your brain's like, well, see, you're just faking it. Like I've got a big shame gremlin that's going to put me in my place. So there's no faking it till I make it. And that positive thinking sometimes can lead to overt positivity and puffing up, which actually doesn't help, right? Yes, there's being positive, but there's also the other side. We need to see both sides of it. We have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. And for a while there, we didn't want to be vulnerable because we thought it was weakness. And so we only talked about our strengths, but it's really important that we see all elements of it. And then in the recent years, especially through COVID, There's this phrase of toxic positivity and how that there was so much toxicity with positivity, right? Like, and we can just like, you know, unicorns and rainbows and it's all going to be great, but maybe it's not, you know, and how do we overcome and how do we 
continue moving forward as we've gone through some of our own tragedies. You know, and I think about guests that have been on the show and losses that have been incurred and how do loved ones move forward. So the other aspect is last week in the show, I talked about magical thinking, right? Which we talked about stealth expectations. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to what stealth expectations are. But that's another example of like, we have this magical thinking and it's that fairy tale. It's the rom-com, right? It's that, oh, things are all going to work out and we're just going to think positively. But in the meantime, things aren't occurring. And then we beat ourselves up and we're frantic and we become hopeless, right? So like I said, Carol Dweck, who's been on the show many times, she has a book called Mindset. Her research is so profound. It's fantastic. But mistakenly, many of us have believed that it's only our thoughts and our stories. And yes, we are story-making creatures. I'm a very much a thinker in my head. And I have had to learn how to connect with my emotions and my body, right? But one of the things that Carol's research does show, and I asked her this a few years ago, she was up in town and she was speaking and I asked her about, you know, was there a correlation between our mindset and emotions? And she's like, absolutely. The research does indicate that a fixed mindset is more correlated to fear and shame and a growth mindset is more correlated to curiosity and confidence. So notice, and now with all the emotions researchers coming out and all the different books about emotions, right? Whether it's Susan David, Mark Brackett, you know, Brene's with Atlas book, there's all these different books out there talking about emotions. We're learning this emotional language that we hadn't learned. And here's the great thing is that this is an opportunity for us to learn. We can complain that we weren't taught it, or we can say, okay, there's now information. There's a lot of research and let's go about and cultivating a language. So we understand ourselves more by understanding our emotions and being able to identify them and being able to understand what they mean, like what the word is, right? I don't want to say label, but really be able to say, oh, label the emotion that you're feeling. We can then communicate with ourselves. We can connect with ourselves and we have a better ability to connect with others, which is the thing that we're all so much desiring, especially after the last couple of years. Our brain, and I've said this many times before, has 40 to 60,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot. And our brain is really efficient. So it's often repeating the same thoughts over and over. And so if you're a person that is saying, I'm crazy, I'm ridiculous, and you're saying that to yourself all day long, those thoughts are probably triggering shame to come up, shame and fear, right? Like the voice of I'm not good enough and the fear of like, oh my gosh, like I'm gonna be isolated. And we see those things to ourselves over and over. So doing thought work and catching that is really important and getting that out of our head. And like I talk about with our mindset practice journal that we sell is, you know, declutter that, get that out of your brain, take a look at, and then this is about owning your story of like, this is what's going on. This is the shit show that's going on in my brain. My friend, we all have it. I cannot tell you how many clients over the years would be like, Corinne, please don't judge me on this. And I would not judge my clients. This is their safe, sacred space, but please don't judge me. I can't believe this is what's going on in my head. We all have it. Some people call it shame gremlins. Some people call it, you know, the mean voice in our back of our head. Sometimes it's not our voice. Sometimes it's 
from our family of origin. It's from a teacher. It's, you know, cultural programming. It's just different messages. So the important thing is we want to declutter it and see what's in there. It's like cleaning up the garage or the attic or your shed and going, holy moly, I have this. Do I need it anymore? Right? So that's why thought work is important. And we must also integrate with it are the emotions in our body, because our emotions, as Todd Cashton has talked about, are here to give us information. And then it's about our behaviors. So it's those three. It's the thoughts. I use thoughts, stories, beliefs, those interchangeably. They're the same thing, right? Emotions and feelings. I interchange those. And I'm sure there's emotions researcher that's going to tell me I'm doing it wrong, but I interchange those. And the behaviors are how we do, how we show up, right? So years ago, I had interviewed Don Green, who's the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And Napoleon Hill is an author who wrote the book, Think and Grow Rich. And it is a book, and I think there's somebody who's making a movie about it right now. But Napoleon Hill, what he did is he went to the titans of industry because he was interested in like, how did these people get so rich, right? Let me understand this. And so he wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. And what I want to do is, is that, and I don't recall there being discussion about emotion. It was all about, you know, think it and you can grow the richness. And I used to have a saying with my athletes back when I was coaching college was believe to achieve, right? And it was that inner believe to achieve. And then what I didn't know was, because I just knew that we had to believe in ourselves and overcome our fears to be able to achieve stuff. Thinking Grow Rich kind of breaks some of it down. And one of the things is about surrounding yourself with people. And I believe this is where like, who are the five people that you surround yourself with? They're going to have a lot of impact right? He wound up surrounding himself with the titans of industry. So he learned quite a bit. He learned about money, right? People still to this day don't talk about money because we've been told that that's culturally crass. You're not supposed to do that. There's a lot of shame around money, but he learned from them, right? About money, about what they did. In today's world, you may not have titans of industry that you're going to have access to, but think about like, who are the people that you surround yourself with? So again, in my world, right, I think about athletic teams, you know, we have these athletic teams and if we're moving together and learning and growing, sometimes you learn like, okay, what's a good piece of equipment or gear that somebody likes that you may not have known about, right? What is a a ritual that somebody has? What's some music that somebody likes to listen to? Or how do they like to prepare before they go into their athletic events? So the athletic teams, we can rise up together with each other in athletic teams. We can also tear each other apart. We can power over, we can be ruthless and tear each other apart. So there's both sides, right? For those of you who don't consider yourself athletes or aren't on athletic teams, schools, colleges, being in those environments, being in an environment where there's learning, You know, it's so cool to listen to my kids be excited about their college professors and the things that they're learning and the ability to have access to people who are in these specific fields of study where my kids get to have access to. And now granted, we have podcasts and we have all this other stuff, but there is something special about being in the room. And maybe it's just because we're on this side of where we are of COVID and we're coming back and integrating more with each other, 
that I feel that that's even more vibrant, but that learning, that ability to be in a space where there's learning and there's connection and hearing about the windows of possibility. Another part of the university system is like the college Greek system, right? Sometimes those can be your networks as you go through life and learning about what people do and don't do. For some people, it's business networking groups, whether it's BNI, Rotary Clubs, you know, different groups that you go and work with other people in business groups, right? Or like masterminds. So one is, is that when you are around people, you start to see other stories of what is possible and what is not. And then that allows you to manage your mindset because you start to, it opens up the windows of possibility. Like I like to say on the show, right? If that is possible for them, what is possible for you? And another example of this is back when I was in college, my mentor, and she was a tremendous mentor still to this day. And one of the things that she said, because, you know, I'm a product of Title IX, I was born in 1972. So I mistakenly believe that we were all equal. And I didn't quite realize the shoulders of those that I stood on to have the opportunities that I had in college. But one of the things that she said, and that has stuck with me since the early 90s was, The beautiful thing about Title IX is girls now see other girls playing sports. And so they have an opportunity to be like, why not me? Where she didn't have that because she didn't have other girls playing sports, much like Abby Wambach, who was, I think, the greatest soccer player in women's soccer. Abby talks about this quite often of how she didn't have female role models. She wound up having male role models, but between her and my mentor, they both had this belief of like, okay, well, if boys can do it, why not me? Right? So anytime we can open up our mindset to be able to be, yeah, why not me? Like, or, Hey, I want to do this. Or if that person's doing that, what can I learn from that? Right? There's a book that I read in the 90s called The Millionaire Next Door. That book has really changed my life. And I was going through it and there was a story of these two bus drivers who became millionaires. And I was like, huh, if it's possible for two bus drivers to become millionaires, why not me? And then what happens is that it starts to open up your brain and you start to think of what are things that you can do, right? And instead of having shame of money doesn't happen to people like me, you wind up opening up and being curious and going, what can I do? What do I need to learn? What do I need to do? And then those behaviors, and then there creates the result. So when you open up your mindset, there are going to be obstacles. We don't just like open up our mindset, have positive thinking, and be like, oh, it's all happening. And it's so easy. You open up your mindset and you think about stuff. And at a point, the vulnerability kicks in and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> This isn't possible. What am I thinking? I'm just an imposter. Who do I think I am? I'll never happen. I have all this evidence that I've been doing this for 20 years and it's never going to work. You familiar with some of these voices? We may be unloading some of these beliefs, which are obstacles, they're limiting beliefs. And that's why we want to declutter them and get them out of our head so we can look at them. Some of them may be, there may be some truth in it, right? Like, okay, yes, maybe I have been doing this for 20 years, but does that then determine that it's not possible? From my experience, I would say that is not true. It is possible, right? Doing something for 20 years and not getting the results you want doesn't mean it's not possible. It's about looking at, okay, what do you need to do to overcome that, right? 
there's a way to figure things out. And that's really important when we come up with obstacles is these are obstacles or things that are meant to be overcome, right? Sometimes we can go through them. Sometimes we have to go around them. Sometimes we may have to do some more work to get the accomplishment that we want, but it is possible because here's the thing, my friend, humans are resilient and I get it. Some days you're like, Corinne, I don't want to be resilient anymore. I get it. That's why we need days off. That's why we need to have evenings free. That's why we need to do other things, you know, that give us a break from this pursuit of being resilient. And that's okay. You're not supposed to be. And hopefully most of us have the opportunity that we don't have to be resilient 24-7. This is mindset. It's opening our brain up to what is possible. Okay. Now going back to Napoleon Hill, thinking grow rich, that becomes misleading because we're like, well, Grant, he said thinking grow rich and you're talking about emotions. So I don't recall in the books and I read a lot of his books and then I interviewed Don Green quite a bit, but I don't recall them really talking specifically about emotions, right? It was kind of like, just believe it, think it and it will happen. But one of the things when you break it down is like, as he's talking, as he's interviewing, getting to know and getting this insight from these titans of industry, they are showing up with confidence of like, yeah, this is my story. This is what I did. This is what I believe. Energy is contagious, right? Confidence is contagious. You notice I said energy, energy and emotions, like emotions is energy. We feel it, right? And if you've ever been an athlete or in an athletic event, there are just a lot of emotions during the course of the event, whether it's a meet, a game, a tournament, and you can feel the energy of the event. And that energy is emotion. We like the emotions of excitement, right? Determination, confidence. We're like, oh yes, he's going to do it or she's going to do it. Like we love that, right? There's also the downward spiral of emotions, right? The fear, the shame, the disappointment, the frustration, the anger, the shit. Why can't they make, you know, make the pass or make it in the basket or hit the damn ball, right? So when I had, when I coached water polo (laughs) and I laugh, when I coached water polo, one of the very simple rules that I had, there are two rules that I had is when things were going well and we were in flow and executing, I didn't fear. I let that energy ride. It was like, don't change a winning game. Just let it go. When the athletes were feeling shame and beaten down, that's when it was time to call a timeout. And for me to be grounded in my own confidence so that I can bring that emotion into our space, not blowing smoke, because that's, that's that positive, magical thinking and athletes can sniff that up from far away, but focusing on the things that we could actually execute, what we could do, what I believe was possible. One of my favorite new shows, Drive to Survive. It's Formula One. Oh my gosh. I am like a fanatic. I love it. I've told my husband that's one of the things I want to do is go to Formula One race. But we're in season four and Christian Horner, who's the principal for Red Bull team, I guess like in a sporting world, I think he'd be like the coach, right? Like he's, I don't know, but they call it a principal. But one of the things he talks about is that he talks about the, how important it is for him to have confidence because his drivers will feel his confidence or his lack of confidence, right? And this goes back to what Jill Bolte-Taylor has said in an interview that I had with her here is people can feel emotions and it's important that we're responsible for the energy we bring. 
So going back to Napoleon Hill, right? While Napoleon Hill didn't talk about emotions and dialing up emotions, when you were surrounded by those people, they were talking about their failures, their mistakes, and how they came back up, right? There's resilience, there's confidence, there's courage. That gets spilled over. And we feel that in athletics. We feel that when we're doing a movement, right? We feel that in groups with other people. So emotions are really, really important and it's there. And it's about connecting our emotions to the thoughts and the stories. For example, when I had the limiting belief for a really long time, it was like my very primal limiting belief was I'm a loser from loser street, right? It was a story that I put together probably as a kid, very unaware of it to make sense of my life. It was like, well, this is happening because I'm a loser from loser street. And now as I unpack it, part of it was just the cultural programming that we receive, right? Like if you're really good at something, it's because you're worthy, which is all a bunch of bullshit. So anyways, to say that, oh, I'm a winner, like I could walk around all day long and talk to myself in a mirror and say, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner. And I've talked about this on the show many, many times over the years. But my brain in the back of the head be like, bullshit, you're a loser. And let me show you all the ways, right? I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner is positive thinking. The important thing is the integration. That's what's missing, right? So instead of saying I'm a winner, it's about connecting the emotion and the belief together. So if I'm a winner, but I'm still feeling shame, that's where the imposter syndrome is coming from, right? Because I'm telling myself I don't believe. So instead of saying I'm a winner, it's like, okay, what's something else I can tell myself? And one of the things that I came up with that I still use often is I can figure things out, right? I am resilient like that. I'm like, oh, as soon as I say I am resilient, like my fight or flight hormones just drop. All of a sudden I can see my like brain open up. I have more perceptual ability with my eyes. I can figure stuff out, right? That is really true. So it's about that integration with your beliefs and your feelings together and then being able to take further action. So recently I was at the pool and my husband was coaching and I didn't hear what he said, but a dad started to laugh because he's like, oh, Pete, because Pete had told the kids to do like 44 bobs. Anyways, so I talked to Pete about it and, you know, and Pete's coached, he's developed Olympians and stuff. And so whether he's coaching five-year-olds or Olympians, one of the things that, or high school kids, like whoever he's coaching, he has this ability to hold space for his athletes of what they can achieve. And it may even be where they don't believe, right, that it's possible, but it's never blowing smoke, right? And he said, well, Corinne, so-and-so, like this was a kid in this group. He's like, well, Matthew can count to 44. You know, this is a kid that does high-level math. He can do it. And when you hold that space, then sometimes the kids, they move past that limiting belief of not being able to do it. So it removes that limiting belief, right? And there's a range of kids and some who can count and some who can't. Some kids may not even be aware of what they're counting for. They're just going through the motions because they don't hear, right? So they're like, okay, I'm supposed to be bobbing. And they do that. And then one of the great things about young kids is that developmentally and socially, they don't have the socialized obstacles that we do later on, like in adolescence of, you know, uh uh-oh, I'm different than everybody else, right? So they're in that developmental time period where, It's less challenging, you know, as a coach 
to put out a big goal like that. And this is another example of when a coach believes, kids take on that belief, right? Or some portion of it. And then they go and do it. And at first they're like, I'm not quite sure if I can do it. And then they do it. And then their confidence, right? They develop more confidence and that confidence attaches to that thought. And then that behavior continues to grow and they get repeat and their confidence grows as well as the result of executing the behavior. And that becomes the upward spiral. So that is an example of my friend of how one goes from being a non-swimmer to becoming a swimmer, right? And that's the fun of the transformation. That's the part I just love. It's the integration. If you had the kids sit on the pool deck and just talk to them and give them all this knowledge, (laughs) not a whole lot would go into them. They wouldn't know it in their bones and they would not be better swimmers. But we tend to do that with self-help or learning or personal development. We're like, I'm just going to put this to my brain and think that, okay, now that I know it, it's just going to be a part of it. We have to integrate thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So the behaviors is really important. It's the day in and day out. It's the practicing in small moments, right? Sometimes we think, oh, it's got to be, I remember when I retired from being a collegiate swimmer and I was like, if I don't swim for a minimum of two hours, that's a waste of my time. It was that all or nothing, Right we're adults, we've got a lot on our plates, we need to have, you know, really look at it and go, okay, what are the small things that we can do to build upon so that we can create the results that we have? And it's really the small moments and keeping at it. And then you start to notice that you truly believe it. And remember, if you're struggling with your mindset practice in your mindset journal, remember to do the journal and then work on integrating those pages in your life. So this looks like reminding yourself of what your new belief you've uncovered, right? In one part of the the mindset journal, we have a space called commit. And these are the new beliefs that you're going to commit to. It's just positive thinking because it's something you really believe. So for example, I used to have an identity of I'm a loser, right? I've talked about that forever. And when it was my go-to when things would fall apart and I mistakenly believed that I truly wasn't good enough. And if I was good enough, I wouldn't have these problems. And there was a lot of shame in that story. And one of the things is that when I would feel shame, I didn't even know it. But when I would feel shame, my typical thing would be to hide away and to numb, right? To eat, to watch television, to distract myself. And then later I'd be so pissed off at myself that I would interglide it and beat the crap out of myself, right? That's what happened when I go, oh, of course that happened. It's because I'm a loser, right? So it was unpacking that, looking at that and going, okay, what is really true for me? You know, and so the new beliefs that I created was, well, you know, what's really true is I am resourceful. Okay. What's another? Like, I figure things out. I can figure things out. Right. What's another? Like, okay, I'll get through this. I've gotten through a lot of stuff in the past. I'll get through this. So that, remember the 40 to 60,000 thoughts? It's really important that that's the message we tell ourselves over and over. Our brain is used to us beating ourselves up and telling ourselves our limiting beliefs over and over, but we need to tell ourselves what is true, right? So for me to go, okay, I'm resourceful, or yeah, I can figure things out. And I just keep priming my brain with this message over and over and over again. That is part of the integration. So it's taking the journal off the pages and living it as you go day to day. It's the driving around. It's old stories, 
And because I've done this work for so long of managing my mindset, I could watch it as a compassionate observer. And I would laugh with myself. I was like, oh, here I go. Isn't this hilarious, right? Never laughing at myself and poking fun. But it's that idea of owning your story and loving yourself, right? Brene talks about that. We don't do this perfectly. So when you integrate these new beliefs and you figure them out and you try them on, it's like trying on a new pair of shoes and going, hmm, do I like it? And you may need to walk around in it for a bit and notice and practice it. That's the integration, right? So I often, not always, but I often will tell myself one of these thoughts I truly believe over and over. And each time my brain tries to argue with what is happening, right? Like, and I really don't do that anymore. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people, right? There's actually a book on that. But when bad things do happen, instead of me saying this shouldn't be happening, which is me arguing with reality. And we all know when we argue with reality, we lose 100% of the time, right? That's from Byron Katie. Instead of arguing with it, I allow the discomfort, the sadness, the betrayal, the anger, the disappointment, I allow that to be. And I feel it and I experience it instead of resisting it. And I go through that and it's not a really long process. And then I think about, okay, what are my options and what's the result that I want to have for what I know right now? And I move through it right? It's like, oh, I can figure things out. And just last weekend, I had a situation, it was an emergency that occurred. And in my brain, a couple hours later, as we are going down to deal with this, I was like, oh, I wish I knew how to deal with this. I wish I was like, and I always, my answer is always like, I wish there was a book written for this. <laughs> Give me a book. But I'm like, who do I know? Who do I know? And, and I thought about it. And there was somebody that I knew and I immediately texted him right? And he was really great because he gave me some answers, said, I'm available for you to call. I called him. He was calm, very matter of fact, gave me some information, which then allowed me to be calm and confident as I was walking into this emergency situation, right? That I had no practice and no experience at. So I can figure things out. And when I, when I allow myself to be in that versus I'm a loser, which then is sulking and me hiding away, I can actually help create the results that I want, but it has to be thinking, feeling, and emotion. That, my friend, is what integration looks like. And then what happens is it becomes a part of your new story of who you are, right? So because I'm a person who can figure things out, when I was in the crisis mode last weekend, I was able to, you know, move through it, feel the uncomfortable stuff, and then my brain was then able to go, okay, what is it that I need to know? What are the things that I'm like, I don't even know. I don't understand. And I would notice I was in fear and wanting to run away. And that wasn't an option, right? So reminding yourself over and over what it is that you're committing to believing that is true about yourself. And that is how you get confidence because you're telling yourself the truth. You're not lying. You're not faking it until you make it you've become that and you really believe it, right? And you're telling yourself the truth of who you are now and you're allowing that to grow. Like I can figure things out. Absolutely. Can I figure out how to build a Formula One car? No, not now. I'm probably never because that's not my skill set, nor is it my desire, right? 
but what are the things that I can figure out? I can figure out certain things that are within my scope of work. And then who are the people that I can reach out to who may have the experience that I do not, that can help me. So knowing and learning and having it in our head, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Like that's important. And if you find in your mindset practice is stalled, right? My invitation for you is to work on the feelings and connecting the feelings and the thinking along with the behaviors. That is the integration piece. Okay. Knowing is not enough. You know, back when I taught community college, I had a beginning some course that I always taught every semester and talk about people that have a whole lot of resistance to coming to this class, right? One, they have to get into swimsuits. So then there's a whole body image. Two is a lot of them have had some sort of traumatic event in their history where they had a near drowning or they knew somebody that had. Then they had the shame that they were older. They could be anywhere from 18 to 86 was my oldest student. So the shame of, I haven't learned this yet. What's wrong with me? I'm such a loser, right? Some of it may have been social economics and then there can be more shame but they would come and the question, and I became pretty strict about this because I learned that what they wanted to do, they had some magical thinking, right? Like, oh, if I just come and sit in the bleachers while Corinne teaches, then I'll learn how to swim. And because I'll have a grade at the end of the semester, that will mean I'll therefore learn how to swim. And so what I started to learn was there were these obstacles and if you weren't in the water, it didn't count as a learning day because there was a lack of integration. Just hearing me was only one aspect of the learning process, right? Hearing me and knowing what to say back to me is one aspect. It was about the going through the feelings, practicing the behaviors. That's the integration piece that allowed people to learn how to swim, right? So if they wanted to learn how to swim, it wasn't just sitting on the sidelines, listen to me talk or to teach. It was overcoming the emotions they had, right? The fear and the shame. It was their willingness to dial up the courage, the determination, right? To cultivate the willingness to do the skill sets that I was asking them to do and overcome their own brain of you're going to die, you're going to die, right? Because our brain's job is to keep us alive. And especially if they had a past experience of potential drowning in the past, right? So the behaviors is the small steps that we took over the course of the semester. And the result is they became swimmers, right? People had different timelines and how, how their learning process happened. I kind of gave them a container of, you know, expect if you have a lot to overcome, it may be longer. That's okay. Maybe two or three semesters and you will learn how, right? And there was never somebody that I taught that never learned how to swim. Every student I taught over the, gosh, I think 11 years I was there, 12 years, all learned how to swim. Some had shorter durations, other had longer, but they all learned how to swim. And we gave them a goal of what did it mean to be a proficient swimmer? And it's still something I use with the monsters. So the result was they became swimmers. And then what happens is the spiral, right? Because then they're like feeling like, wow, I feel confident and I feel empowered. And if I can do this, what else can I do? And that becomes a transferable skill set right? And they have new stories about themselves. They're like, hey, I can learn new things. Or wow, I was really brave, right? Or wow, look at me. I overcame my fears, right? Or I overcame my past traumas. 
that becomes the new identity, but it came about because of thinking, overcoming feelings, dialing up new feelings, and the behavior of the doing. So this is how we go from being a non-swimmer to a swimmer. We integrate these skills that overcome our fears and we practice. And this, my friend, is how one's identity changes, right? From a non-swimmer to a swimmer. So you may be like, but Corinne, I'm not interested in being a swimmer. That's fine. That's just the metaphor for what it is that you want. Integrating to create the results that you want in your life. My clients want to do meaningful work, right? They want to do work that's important to them and then how to lead people, right? And how to lead themselves in the workplace. It's really challenging these days, right? I have lots of clients who want to have connection, whether they're intimate relationships, connection with family members, having a sense of belonging with friends, especially after the last few years of being so disconnected, right? Creating a sense of belonging, belonging with ourselves, belonging with others, We're having joy in really being able to enjoy this one precious life that we all get to live. So my friend, I'm smiling big for you. You're not doing it wrong. Keep integrating thoughts, feelings, behaviors, right? Integrating, learning, have some thoughts that you are true now that you can remind yourself when those bad things happen to help you move through. But remember, it's important to feel our feelings. Okay, my friend smiling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so 